This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Forever. Dog. Hey, y'all. My name is Alex Berg, and welcome to the LGBTQ Nation podcast. LGBTQ Nation is the world's leader in LGBTQ news and commentary, and every week we focus on major topics affecting the queer community and speak with the nation's brightest thinkers, journalists, activists, politicians, and more. We've been talking about how we're celebrating the Equality Act's passage in the House, but you might not realize it won't solve workplace discrimination on its own. I've especially been thinking about this after Chasten Buttigieg, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg's husband, tweeted about a horrible experience he had at work when a manager asked him if he was gay, except the manager used a slur in the question. His story prompted an outpouring of anecdotes on Twitter from other LGBTQ people who face similar discrimination at work. I know that I've had similar experiences, so LGBTQ Nation journalist John Gallagher is going to join to talk more about how odds are still in the favor of businesses when it comes to workplace issues. Then we have to talk about a story that continues to make smoke come out of my ears. The governor of South Dakota literally tweeted on International Women's Day that she's excited about, quote, unquote, defending women's sports by signing a bill that bans transgender young people from girls' sports in the state. The 19th journalist, Kate Sawson, has been covering all of these anti-trans bills closely. It seems like there's a new one weekly for us to talk about on this podcast. So they will be joining to talk about South Dakota's, which seems to be days away from becoming law. So on that note, let's kick it off talking about the Equality Act. Welcome, John. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. And my first question for you is, the Equality Act passed in the House, so that means all of our problems are solved, right? Would that it were that simple. Unfortunately, it's not. So let me begin by saying that the Equality Act is very important, and people know the reasons why, not the least of which is getting the federal government on the record for being against discrimination against LGBTQ people. That's critically important. However, the odds are really still stacked in favor of people who want to discriminate. They have to be better at it. They have to be a little bit more uh, subtle. But, you know, particularly in terms of employment, if your employer wants to get rid of you, it's not that hard to find a way to do it. I'm sitting here thinking, OK, cool, cool, cool. They just have to be more subtle and manipulative and sneaky about it. Right. It, because what most people you know, think of in terms of discrimination is that the, the experience that Chasten had, which is, you know, somebody comes up and calls you a slur um, or, you know, they find out you're on a gay softball team and they fire you, which is the case of a social worker in Georgia. That's very blatant and that's pretty easy to prove. But what's not that easy to prove are poor job performance evaluations or reshuffling internally. We're going to change your job responsibilities. So it's not the job you used to have, or we're going to rechange the, stu- the structure of the department. So suddenly your job doesn't really make a lot of sense, or we're just going to lay off a bunch of people. And it's like, this is a convenient time to get rid of you as well. So most states are at will states, you know, your employer can get rid of you for whatever reason whatsoever. And so it's not that hard to get rid of somebody for being LGBTQ 
and having it hidden under a number of other explanations. That feels so incredibly sneaky and terrible. And I feel like there's a whole other conversation we need to have about at-will employment in general and the protections that employees should have um, in this kind of case. I mean, do you think that people, there's a misconception about the Equality Act that it's going to resolve employment discrimination and all of these issues? One of the things I noticed that there was just such an outpouring on Twitter and in other places about the excitement, of course, because it's so important. But I feel like it's so easy for people just to kind of like celebrate when these things happen. Okay, like give ourselves a pat on the back. We're done. We can move on now. When clearly, I mean, employers are going to still do what they're doing. That's correct. You've got it exactly right. You know, folks are going to do what they continue to do. And a lot of that's going to be pretty ugly. I think all you have to do is look at the experience of, you know, people who have lost their jobs on the basis of their race or ethnic identity or gender. And you can tell a lot of that stuff is still happening, even though there have been federal protections in place for decades. So there's not any reason to think it's going to be any different for our community. It's just going to be the same thing over and over again, unfortunately. And the vast majority of cases are just really hard to prove. So on that note, you wrote that uh, the sad truth is if an employer really wants to get rid of you for being LGBTQ, it still won't be terribly difficult. What did you mean by that? The odds are basically stacked in favor of the employer. So, you know, the employer has any number of levers they can pull to eliminate your position and eliminate you with it. You know, it can be performance. You can be getting a poor performance review or you can, you know, as I said, they can be restructuring the department or change your job responsibilities. If the employer really wants to get rid of you, they can get rid of you without ever using anything that in a court would be considered really solid evidence. You're going to have to try it. If, if you want to take it to court, you're going to go with circumstantial evidence. And that's very, very difficult to prove. There aren't a lot of, you know, smoking slurs, so to speak, that are out there that, you know, would prove your case. Yeah, this one, uh, I feel like I know so many people who have had the experience where they knew they were being discriminated against and they had witnessed different remarks or just weird vibes from people in their offices. And then ultimately, when they tried to like, go on the record with HR, or even go further than that, it led to nowhere or HR was just there to protect the business, which I feel like that's another conversation uh, just about like how corporate culture is in America as well. And it was like so incredibly difficult, even though in talking to them and hearing the anecdotes, I was like, I completely believe you. Like, I, it sounds terrible. I completely know. Why do you think it's still so difficult to prove discrimination? You said that evidence would have to be circumstantial. What does that mean? There are two, you're looking for direct or indirect evidence or the, you know, sort of the terms of art legally. And, you know, direct evidence is let's get rid of, you know, let's get rid of Alex because we just, we think Alex is LGBTQ and out she goes, you know, you're out, you're out of a job or we're not going to promote you. So it's not just firing, it's promotions as well. We're not going to promote you because you don't kind of, you know, you don't fit our idea of what, you know, a senior leader looks like. Senior leader should be like, you know, a heterosexual person. So that's great. There you've got the direct evidence. You can take that to court and to the bank. What it makes it a lot harder is like, Alex, we just don't 
think you're the right person. You haven't demonstrated quite the leadership skills we're looking for in this job, or we're looking for this particular kind of experience. And lo and behold, you don't happen to have that, but you know, somebody else does, or, you know, we just decided to rework your job in a different way. And, you know, sorry, it just doesn't, you don't have the skills you need to do this job. Well, that's all covered. That's fine. Mm. You know, under, you know, under, uh, you know, sort of at will employment, you know, in your heart of hearts, what's happening, but you can't prove it in a court of law. A million percent. I mean, that is so infuriating because it's true. Like if someone says that it's a performance related issue or you just don't fit exactly. I mean, how how do you prove that otherwise? All of this got me thinking about how Chasten Buttigieg recently told a story about an assistant manager who asked him if he was gay, used a slur to ask him. Um, and then just how many people were chiming in with their own stories of discrimination and outing at work. I mean, in writing about this, do you relate to it on a personal level at all? Yeah, I can certainly, you know, talk about it from, you know, my experience because, you know, I I've been at the rodeo a long time. You know, <laughs> I I I began my career as a journalist in the 80s. And, you know, certainly I've had experiences with a lavender ceiling. You know, mm. you were you were only going to go so far, you weren't going to go any further. And it's really kind of hard to, you know, it would be impossible to prove that in a in a court of law. It's just kind of just the way the system was, you know, structured, it wasn't, you know, structured to promote diversity or your career. It's set to perpetuate the system. You mentioned the lavender ceiling. I feel like one thing that has this has morphed into now is the glass cliff. Have you heard this phrase before, the glass cliff? Yes. Yeah, which is the idea that women or LGBTQ plus folks or people of color are put into leadership positions in businesses that are not doing great. And then they end up having a historic role, but they're put over the cliff because it was a mess for them to come in and clean up. And I just, I feel like when I think about how this conversation has morphed to today, I'm always thinking about this glass cliff. I mean, I feel like I could so easily name many different people put um, into these roles. So I just feel like it's evolving into that where places, you know, they say that they have certain values, but then they put people from marginalized groups into positions to then come and clean up the mess. And you're kind of set up to fail. That is unfortunately often the case, you know, that when you're hired for a job, you should be set up to succeed. When you're set up to fail, the reason you fail is going to be blamed on who you are and not the circumstances under which you found yourself. You know, the failure is because you were, you know, really handed a, you know, big stinking bag of Exactly. And you <laughs> and you couldn't do anything with it as opposed to, um, well, you know, that's what gets, that's what happens when you hire somebody like that. So what do you think we uh, should be done about this? I mean, clearly at will employment laws uh, need to go away. People need to have better protections in the workplace. I mean, how do you think these things should be resolved, just especially thinking about LGBTQ plus people in the workplace and the Equality Act? Well, first of all, it'd be nice if the Equality Act passed. Also that, the, yes. I, I am saying all of this, that uphill, uphill climb in, in the Senate. Well, yes, but there are some protections in place because of the Supreme Court ruling last year, you know, that kind of surprise 6-3 ruling. So there are some protections in place, which is good. And, uh, you know, at-will employment is never going to go away, at least not anytime soon. That battle would make the battle for the Equality Act, you know, look like thumb wrestling. So you, I think to sort of be realistic there, it's like, you know, I've, my perspective is all change is incremental. And so 
with the passage of the Equality Act, what you would have is you'd have the force of the federal government on your side. You would have people who would have to have this integrated into their compliance training. And if you've never gone through one of those, you know, there you have to go through these classes where you're told this is what you can and can't do. And having, you know, LGBTQ people integrated into that would be great. It's an educational opportunity. There also will be some, as hard as it is to prove discrimination, you know, the threat of a lawsuit from a lawyer is often enough just to shake some money out of them, uh, out of your employer. So it's like too much effort, too much money to spend on legal fees. It's like, let's just write a check and make it go away. Now, you know, as we kind of know from Me Too, that's a that's a pretty crappy way of handling things. But for a lot of folks, you know, who really need a paycheck, that's not nothing. So, you know, it is some it is something. So, as I said, if you, you know, look at the, you know, experiences of folks who have faced discrimination because of their race or ethnic background or gender, it's a long battle. It's just going to go on for a lot longer than the uh, after the passage of the Equality Act, unfortunately. But that doesn't mean that the changes won't be for the better over the long run. It's just never going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. I feel like I, I got to remind myself the change is incremental. We're going to get there or else I'm just going to go like bury my head under a pillow or something um, with all of this in mind. Um, John, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much. And our listeners can read John's full op-ed, The Equality Act is Important, But It Won't Solve Workplace Discrimination on LGBTQ Nation. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Moving on to talk about South Dakota's anti-trans bill and more, joining me is Kate Sawson, the LGBTQ plus reporter for the 19th. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so the tweet I mentioned at the beginning of the show from the governor of South Dakota made my blood boil, especially because it was on International Women's Day. Yes. So the governor (laughs) tweeted that uh, she was very excited to sign the anti-trans sports bill that just passed through the South Dakota legislature. This is not what the thing that you do to celebrate International Women's Day. I don't know (laughs) if that's uh, not obvious to everyone, but I think it made me so aggravated because I was like, this is, I mean, discriminatory, trash, garbage, all of the things that we have said and can imagine about it too. But also I really hate the idea that um, there is this idea of protectionism of women, and that's why these things are being signed. So that that just especially made me extra mad to see it on International Women's Day. I was like, there are actually so many other things you could do to support women that are not this bill. It's funny because this has been raised as like a women's issue. But when I think about women's issues and LGBTQ issues, they feel like the same thing to me, right? Like, so the source of our pain why do LGBTQ people share one acronym? It's always gender, right? Like, Mm. why is it that men who have sex with men are policed? Why is it the trans people are policed? Why is it that women 
historically have not been allowed to vote or wear pants or that men have not been allowed access to their feelings. It's all gender, right? Like Mm. gender is the source of our pain. And so to try to pit cisgender women against transgender people, like feels like just such a lie because liberating all of us in terms of thinking about gender and the ways that it limits us in terms of the work that we do, at least at the 19th as a newsroom, we're always just talking about gender, right? Like we're talking about women's issues, but we know we're also talking about LGBTQ issues and vice versa. So it sounds like, I mean, one of the big things is that people need to start thinking about uh, these issues in a much more nuanced, thoughtful (laughs) way, inclusive way in general. But I mean, you've been reporting on all of these bills and we've hit the point where South Dakota and Mississippi are actually very close to passing theirs. So what happens as soon as they go into effect? And uh, like when we say that they're close to passing, are we talking like days here, weeks until they pass? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have three anti-LGBTQ bills that have now passed and are waiting to be signed into law. Two anti-transports bills and one that's an old school RIFRA. So that's a Religious Freedom <laughs> Restoration Act. It makes me feel a kind of way. It's like, you know, the, Rif- the RIFRAs of yesteryear, <laughs> like a few years ago, you know, those that LGBTQ discrimination is now so passe, like they've moved right. on. We didn't yeah. expect to see these. So there's actually 36, at last count, uh, wow. RIFRAs pending in state legislatures. And most of them have been hidden into these COVID church bills. So like these are bills that would keep churches open during the pandemic. And then they just took this, this little line from RIFRA, which is this federal bill that was passed in 1993 um, that says, you know, if you have a sincerely held religious belief, then it's okay to, and the original intent of RIFRA was not to be a discriminatory bill. Like the ACLU supported it. But the 2014 Hobby Lobby decision, which found that it was okay for Hobby Lobby to deny contraception to employees, changed the way that we think of RIFRA now. Those kinds of laws, right? Like we haven't seen them since 2015 when Indiana signed one. And so they took the language from these bills and just started hiding them in COVID church measures. And so a lot of LGBTQ groups didn't know that they have been moving through state legislatures. Yeah. So South Dakota passed one of those and an anti-transports bill and Mississippi has an anti-transports bill. Based on everything we know, it would be surprising if governors vetoed any of these measures. Now, the question is, are they going to hold up in court? (laughs) And that's Mm -hmm. the next, that's the next battle. ORIFRA seems like it will hold up in court because we have federal precedent, right? We have a federal Mm -hmm. RIFRA Mm -hmm. that has withstood the test of time. An anti-transports bill, however, um, Idaho passed one last year and a judge ruled it unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. How long would we expect from the time the bill is passed to a judge uh, ruling it unconstitutional? That's a really good question. You know, it depends on... The way that the courts are moving, you know, COVID has changed so much for us. Um, It could be months to, you know, a year. um, And then we could see all kinds of appeals. But what is really important to keep in mind is we have more than 70 anti-trans measures Mm. moving through state legislatures. And it seems like there's a tactic strategically to flood the courts with this because we have a lot of Trump appointed judges in the Mm -hmm. courts. And we have a 
heavily majority conservative Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. So if you hit the right circuit and you get to the Supreme Court, which has expressed interest in overturning marriage equality, it feels like there's a real legitimate strategy to do some actual damage on one of these issues. There are just so many points that I want to follow up with you about what you're saying. (laughs) The first is that kind of mind-boggling that we're in the middle of a pandemic and churches are using these COVID bills to pass anti-LGBTQ discrimination, which is just like, damn, y'all must really hate queer and trans people that much that you have to get it into your like COVID bills. Um, So that was one feeling um, that I had. And then what happens to the, the kids who are impacted by this? I feel like sometimes in the news coverage, we lose sight that they're like, when we're talking about these bills, we're actually talking about trans and gender nonconforming children. And what does this mean for them in these states? Does it mean that, I don't know, if they have a teacher or a coach or somebody who's following all this, they see the bill has passed and then these kids are barred from participating? Yeah, I mean, we actually haven't seen what it looks like to have one of these laws in effect, right? Because we've never seen one of them Mm. really take effect and and the consequences of that. But, you know, trans kids have been playing sports for years and years and years, and we haven't seen them kicked out of sports. These past few years have been the first years that we've seen such a backlash against trans kids in this way. And, you know, I went to South Dakota a little over a year ago um, when they were trying to pass a medical ban for trans kids. So, you know, kids trying to get puberty blockers so they can pause puberty. Mm-hmm. And I followed the, the kids who were testifying and some of them were so young and they're sitting in this hearing and they look so distressed and upset. Some kids are crying, watching the testimony. And before we went into that hearing, I was sitting with a 16 year old who was trans and I just asked him like, what's going on for you? And he said, I wish I wasn't trans. And I was like, why? Because I love being trans. Like, it's my favorite thing about myself. Um, And he was like, you know, dysphoria is hard enough, but like, I just want to be a teenager. Like, I don't want to have to do stuff like this. And he ended up going and talking to his senator. And that conversation changed his senator's vote and killed the bill. Wow. There were more anti-trans bills in South Dakota this year. And there were the year before. And South Dakota is the testing ground for this. And those kids do this every single year. And it seems like the message that those kids are getting is we wish that you weren't trans, right? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. we wish you weren't who you are. And to get that from your lawmakers and to have to go and face them and ask them over and over again to reaffirm your humanity feels like a huge ask for kids. And to have national media attention and hate from adults is just, you know, I've covered like trans prison abuse and um, really difficult stories. I don't think I've covered something that felt quite as difficult as watching kids navigate that. I mean, it is so much to put on these kids. And then the other thing, too, is that I feel like I see a lot of coverage where you have these anti-trans lawmakers saying the most hateful, disgusting things to these kids 
faces. Like there is no shame when they're saying these things. There is no thought for how it's going to impact the kids. So I just, I, I, your, your point is so taken. I mean, it's, it's so terrible. I feel like I use the word terrible so often when just talking about the news cycle and especially the news cycle of the past four years. But I, I mean, it's devastating for these kids. And one of the things that I find to be one of the most ridiculous parts of these bills, um, and you said, you know, trans kids have been playing sports for years and years, one of the most ridiculous parts is that these bills often point to this myth around the quote unquote dominance of trans women in sports, which is not a thing. This is not something that's happening. And then the lawmakers behind these bills can somehow never name an example of when this is happening because it's not happening. Yeah. I mean, all of this sort of comes back to this weird stereotype of really poor media portrayals of trans women who have historically been played by cisgender men in movies, right? And like our own failures to accurately portray trans women in media. And so it does feel like if we actually knew transgender women and transgender people, our conversations would be really different. And especially when we're talking about transgender kids, like I am curious, like how many of these lawmakers can name transgender children that they know, right? We're regulating something and and calling it really scary, but like, what does a trans kid look like to you? A trans kid is a kid, right? Like it's, you know, this is, this is a, a small person who's trying to figure out the world and, and wants to participate in like an after-school club. <laughs> um, and that's like the controversy and the issue. And the, the question here is that I get a lot from a lot of these kids and their parents is look like I didn't sign up for sports to win. Mm-hmm. Like I just, you know, I send my kid up because they want to learn about teamwork and they want to get exercise and they want an outlet that is something other than, you know, homework after school or, um, you know, the suicide rate for, for queer kids is really high. Or mm-hmm. like, I just want like my kid to have, you know, a fully rounded life and like sports is part of that, or, Mm -hmm. um, this is their passion, right? Like when I played basketball as a child, I didn't do it because I wanted to be in the NBA, right? Like (laughs) the WNBA, like I played basketball because it was like a one of several (laughs) things I was like trying to figure out. Um, and most of us are not professionally bound, which is beside the point, right? Because we know that there's not necessarily when you're a child, a competitive advantage, but we're not talking about professional sports. We're talking about children. And that does seem to be something that in media, we have failed to Mm -hmm. catch in the nuance because in, in mainstream media, like people like me who report mainstream media, we have not conceived of like actual trans kids. Like we're so stuck in like this binary Mm -hmm. of transgender women and what are transgender women like we can't Mm -hmm. even yeah I also feel like the media gets really hung up on pseudoscience and like so much of this conversation has also become based on pseudoscience and then I think sometimes you get I I should say really mainstream media you know we're not talking about our outlets or or queer and trans reporters covering these issues who, who do it with care and you know people I think in the pursuit of a clear cut answer this use this pseudoscience. It's so, so dangerous just when it comes to this particular issue. Never mind the fact that when you're just talking about sports, like a lot of times 
sports have specific values of inclusion and the competitive spirit. And so there are both so many ways that this legislation defies the value of sports and also the point of sports. So, I mean, which like, this would be a a whole five hour long podcast conversation to really get into the, to the nitty gritty of this. But yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like so much of this gets glossed over. Now, Biden signed executive orders around gender parity earlier this week. So um, how, how should we expect the administration to counter the South Dakota bill? This is going to be so interesting, I think, to see play out. The gender parity executive order is going to be, I think, very interesting. Um, but even more sort of pressing in my mind is how these bills are going to come up against uh, the executive order enforcing the Bob Stock decision, which of course is the Supreme Court ruled last year that it was illegal to fire an LGBTQ person based on their sexual orientation and gender identity. The Biden administration enforced, the Trump administration refused to do. And because that hinged on an interpretation that says sex discrimination is illegal, the administration kind of said, look, courts are probably going to rule that sex discrimination is illegal in all areas of life. So we are going to broadly apply this. And what it feels like is like a lot of these bills that are getting passed, the sports bills, the medical bans, if a bathroom bill comes up again, won't hold up against that, right? Like the Supreme Court has kind of already settled this issue that it's illegal to discriminate against someone on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And so it does feel like this is an exercise in identity politicking on the side of the GOP. That said, (laughs) you know, there is that issue of the Supreme Court and like (laughs) religious freedom and like... can of worms, but yeah, it, it can't, a can of worms indeed. Yes. It yeah. can of worms indeed, but it does, it does feel like the reason why the Equality Act is going to be so important, right? Is because it, it does, it really does hinge on if a president can come in and sign an executive order and enforcement can change administration to administration. You know, the question is how much does that mean? Because mm-hmm. this had been the law for the Supreme Court, but the Trump administration was able to ignore it and not enforce it. And which meant that LGBTQ people were only going to be protected if they decided they wanted to sue. Um, And so the federal government wasn't enforcing it. And now it is. And I think what's going to be interesting about the Biden administration is it will enforce this policy of gender equity through the lens of trans rights, LGBTQ rights, and women rights are one and the same. And that's going to make some people really mad. I uh, welcome them to be mad and, you know, have anti-discrimination measures enshrined uh, so that people can't do anything about it, like everything we're seeing that has happened. Before you go, uh, I do want to end kind of on a high note uh, after all of this. Um, You posted a thank you on Twitter to the trans women specifically who've helped forge a path for International Women's Day and for Women's History Month. Is there anyone you want our listeners to know about? There's two people that I really think about a lot who have impacted me personally. One, of course, is Monica Roberts, who I always like got advice from, um, and was like one of the first trans reporters that I ever encountered, like way back. in, I want to say we met in 2011 when I was just like starting out in queer reporting and really showed me that it was like possible to do this work was just like so vocal and unapologetic. And then the other 
person that like really has sort of stuck in my heart my whole career is um, Minister Lois Bates from Chicago, who is a, a trans organizer um, who passed away in 2011. And I just really miss her in the world. So yeah, those are two people who really stick with me. Well, thank you so much for uh, naming those two and also for joining me for this conversation. Where can our listeners find you? You know, I'm at 19thnews.org. That's where all of my reporting lives. And yeah, I would love for you to come visit us. Well, thank you again. Thank you, Alex. Each week after we talk about the news, I like to leave you with a story that's bringing me joy. And this one is just so appropriate for the topics we cover today. Zaya Wade interviewed former First Lady Michelle Obama on Instagram Live about her memoir, Becoming. As you might know, Zaya is the teenage daughter of Dwayne Wade and stepdaughter of Gabrielle Union, and the family has been open about how she identifies as trans. Zaya asked Michelle for her advice for those, quote, who want to be themselves and thrive like you have and currently are. And Michelle responded that Zaya is doing just that and that she's so proud of her and then asked Zaya what advice she'd give to people. Zaya said that, quote, we all think that we thrive with people who are just like us, but I think getting a different perspective from someone else who isn't like you really helps. That definitely helped me in becoming me and defining my truth. This interview is basically the definition of legend supporting legends. At just 13 years old, Zaya is showing other young, queer, and trans people that they can be who they're meant to be. And on top of that, her parents have been such an example of support for other parents of LGBTQ kids in empowering her to live visibly. In our garbage fire of a news cycle, I just can't get over this story. Please make sure to support the LGBTQ Nation podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review our show right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars, please. And check out LGBTQ Nation every day at www.lgbtqnation.com. LGBTQ Nation has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. LGBTQ Nation is hosted by Alex Berg, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered by Katrina Henning, music by Gabe Lopez, executive produced by Joe Cilio, Scott Katz, John Halbeck, Bill Browning, and Melissa D. Motz.